2: All right, my talkers, one more day till Friday. Right now, we've got Lori and Brittany in the house, and let's have some fun with the ladies. Yeah. Uh, thank go. you. Go. Oh. oh, go
3: ahead, because it go. is my
1: sister's
2: birthday today. Yeah, oh,
1: so you kind of hit them both. Little Brittany. It's still a birthday. It's still a birthday. Go, what, what,
2: what? 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 Brittany's in. Brittany's in. Brittany's in. Yep. Brittany's in. Yes.
1: It's always a birthday somewhere, and especially... And Lori's home. Uh, yeah, we have a
3: lot of July birthdays. And my crazy sister and I, the mean one, we are the same age for three days. For three oh.
1: days. So it means we got a birthday landing on a weekend. Mm-hmm. We got to make sure we celebrate on both and you know, Friday and Monday. Yeah. Oh,
3: we have so many plans, you guys. Oh, Jeez. you're I'm, exhausted. I'm kicking
1: it off tonight with the flaming o's in Mirror's Park. Ah. You're the busiest person I know. Your social calendar is out of control. Every Is time it? yes, every night I'm like, "Hey, what are you, you know, you're like, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" And I'm like, "I don't know, I'm going to go home and watch something." And you're like, "I'm going to go see this band oh, and eat no, this it's dinner not that with like Casey. That. I'm and, making up for last
3: time like everybody." I know. Um by the way, the cat video festival tickets went on sale today. Wow. Meow. There's like VIP tickets and then regular tickets. And you have till what day before they go up?
2: You have till uh, tickets will go up on August 2nd. So, August 2nd, tickets will prices will go up. And Good yeah, the yeah the VIP tickets are seventy five dollars, and general admission tickets right now are ten. But after August second, they go to fifteen dollars.
1: Yeah, that so. event has the cutest merchandise too. It does. It does. does. And the and, way people dress up, and,
2: and we're still taking videos, guys. We're taking oh, submissions we till ju- July twenty third. So we've got a, uh, what a couple more weeks left to get those videos in. If you guys want to maybe get yourself on that cat reel, so
3: does Hannah look at all the videos?
2: Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't even do the millennial Hannah voice. Yeah. I can't. That's-
3: whenever, whenever she used to film Julia and I, I then tell Julia the thought bubbles. She thought the whole time that she was filming us, and it's hysterical. <laughs> she can't hide what her facial expression is. Yeah. And you can just tell that she can't like. You know she likes us, but doesn't like us. And yeah. We, oh, why are they saying that? <laughs> Oh. And I, we give each other a lot of crap. Yeah, oh, yes. yes. No, she's
2: fantastic. Night.
3: Okay. So, um, Grant and I confessed to each other in the double wide that uh, some disappointment over Love Island last night. Where really? was the hotness? Where
2: were the hotties? There was
1: not... Both men and women were yes, lacking.
2: Both men and women were so, very lacking. I
1: saw. The men, because they popped up. I was doing a little research since I, didn't, since I didn't watch it, and the men were definitely lacking. And I didn't see the women.
3: When you have four of the five guys that are introduced, and nobody steps forward to say, "Hey, I'm interested," it's <laughs> like, like whoa. Whoops. That uh, host, whatever her name is, she's like, "Come on, you guys." Yeah, she's please. fun. But she yeah. is fun. The best is the uh, announcer. Yeah,
2: he is. His He's little one-liners that he adds in uh, are pretty, pretty good. So but you're good. right; it was just lacking that that the other two seasons, the spark from the initial reactions when people met, and I just did not feel the sex. I didn't feel the hotness. I didn't. I
3: didn't either. And I was trying to figure out where, what Hawaiian island they were on.
2: Yeah, I don't know that. Like
3: it, it didn't look like it was the north shore of oahu it didn't it certainly i don't think was maui i don't think it was Kauai. i mean may, i don't know where this place is
2: but that it is a pretty beautiful spot sitting right upon that hill with the overlook in the ocean
3: yeah you just don't yeah I, wow. maybe it must be it must be in oahu i i, I guess i'll have to if I'm interested, I'll Google it. But, I mean, I found it a real chore to get through that episode last night. Oh, that's a bad sign. I know, but we haven't had, you know, they haven't really done anything yet. Yeah. You know, it's when they start doing the little competitions and... And they did add two new guys right away at the end of the night to they mix did. it up. They so did. That was, kinda... that was a
2: little bit of a nice curveball. I might butcher this. H-I-L-O is the island. Oh, Hilo? It's Hilo. In Hilo. Hilo. They're
1: in Hilo?
2: Hilo, Hawaii. Yes, that's where they're filming this one. Okay.
1: Now yeah, the Grand Nanaloa Hotel in Hilo.
3: Okay. Hilo is where... What you nobody goes, okay? Hilo <laughs> is the rainy side of the Big Island, where so they got the macadamia it. nut uh farms are. Okay, Pretty easy access to Volcano National Park, but there is nothing going on in Hilo. So this just must be a fancy. Is it a resort or a house? Yes,
1: it's a. Are uh, it's staying at the Grand Nana Loa Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um. I bet they got a discount there. I was right? going to
2: say it might have been production money, save a little bit. Get- save
3: a little bit, but there's nothing going on. There's really no I mean, they'll be able to do adventurous stuff. There's yes. a lot of hiking. There could be some off-roading kind of a thing, but there are no not a lot of people in Hilo Kona is the yeah. the little the little uh, like a Lahaina, you know, oh, on these- that side of the island, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the sunny side of the island. But Hilo, good Lord. Well, they don't want anybody getting out of the house and making a break for it.
2: Yeah, no. I, I was thinking, too, last night, like, you know, five days a week that show was on, guys, right? And then yeah. they kept advertising that app and how we can be involved. As you know, you can vote. And, and think of the amount of advertising between that app and that show. I wonder how much money... This show makes. I don't know. It's got. They're not paying these guys a lot of money to be there. The prize isn't that big, and they're out on Hilo, which right. doesn't seem to be like the New Jersey of You're Hawaii. Right. So I bet. I'm just curious. And how I much downloaded money.
3: that damn app last year. I got so sucked into it because <laughs> I wanted to vote for um, Jacob and. Justine,
2: Justine, and by the way, I have a correction. They are not together. They aren't Whoa. together. No, I was I was reading an old article, and I got a, a great listener that emailed me and was like, eh, "You might want to fix that." So yeah. So
3: when they win the hundred do, thousand, does the couple they just automatically each get their half less taxes?
2: Yeah. Yep. Oh, and they take so much out for taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you get fifty thousand? You're probably getting what maybe 35, yeah, 35, thirty five. 35,
3: yeah, $32,000. Unless they could somehow have exemptions. You maybe. Know, yeah. They, they decided to, but, you know, say they're going to exempt.
2: But the beauty with that show is they can always add more people, and yes. they'll get reactions from fans, and they'll spice it up. I'm maybe sure. Maybe it some was way. a
3: slow recruiting year in the time of COVID. Yeah.
2: yeah, maybe
1: that's it. But
2: did you notice when they were introducing everybody how horny everyone was? Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, was like,
2: I just can't wait to touch somebody. Yeah. Everybody was just <laughs> horned <laughs> up.
1: That's literally the theme of 2021. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to touch some somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hot back summer.
3: Hey, yeah, girl. There you go. Um, All right. Listen, when we come back, it's our story we can't get enough of. Our good buddy, uh, Roger Freeman, got a peek of the Hulu documentary called McCartney 321. We're obsessed with what we're finding out. We'll be right back. Okay, so that's Juvenile and Manny Fresh. They joined forces with Mia X to give a twist on their song Back That As Up, which is from 1999. And they partnered with BLK, a dating app for black singles, to encourage uh, young people to get vaccination, both the Vax That Thing up, both the men and women. So I just thought, since we were just talking about a hot Vax summer. It's called Vax That Thing
2: Up. It's cool. The video's fun too. They're holding up their cards yeah. and, like, like, instead of throwing money out, they're, they're throwing out that. Vax cards. Oh, it's, that's it's cute. Pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty
3: clever. Okay, so, um, and also really excited. We're talking with Mitch McGuire from Paisley Park, who uh, is a managing director there and the curator of the, um, it's taken a year, I think. It took him a year to do this shoe exhibition. That is getting massive mm-hmm. amounts of publicity. CBS Morning News did
1: something Yeah, Stone, so it's, John Bream. We looked at some of the, uh, these are Prince's shoes. Yes. Um, we looked at some of them and they are gorgeous. Yes. yes. And they, they were talking about how they would have to save fabric. From the outfit because he'd always want the full look. You'd always yeah. have to include extra fabric for the shoes. And you could tell, like, you look back and you're like, yes, that was a thought out look. Yeah, long, lean
3: line. So we're talking to Mitch at 3.30 today. Um mm-hmm. And, um, okay, so this, I guess I had forgotten this because we were kind of excited about the Peter Jackson documentary, the Let It Be, the last you know, time that the Beatles were together and Mm -hmm. that got bumped. It was going to be in August and it got bumped to like November. So Roger Freeman from Showbiz uh, 411 um, writes that he just finished the first of six 30-minute segments produced by Rick Rubin that will debut on Hulu on July 16th. And it's called McCartney 321. McCartney has never written his memoir. He's been offered. Yeah. He's not interested in doing it. So Roger said, you know, one of the things uh, about this is that um, we're getting um, stuff from Paul that he's never read before, Seen him doing interviews. And he said the films are in black and white. Rick Rubin looks like a cross between Methuselah and a Swami with a long ZZ top, white beard. He's wearing shorts. They're mostly standing, sometimes sitting in front of a console. And it's just the two of them. So for McCartney, who has not, like I said, written a book and is... Kind of dodgy in interviews as far as, like, you know, sharing, going in depth. He is giving an oral history. So at 79, if you're a fan, this is it. This is all you need. This is
1: what you're going to get, In the first
3: episode, they talk about Michelle and how it was composed and how McCartney says they all wanted to be French. And he was inspired by an, uh, an Edith Piaf song. He says, he tells Rick Rubin in this first episode that Sergeant Pepper came about because he misheard his roadie ass to pass the Salt and Pepper.
1: Oh! And
3: he thought, he said, would you pass me Sergeant Pepper? And he thought that was, you know, funny. Then they wrote up with a little help from my friends for Ringo because he was so popular. He mostly sang covers and we thought we could write him a song. So they did. They also get into a dissection of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, in which Paul McCartney praises George Harrison as a songwriter and a person, and he recalls how George's friend, Eric Clapton, came to plan it the first time an outsider had played on one of their records. It was very generous of George, uh, Paul says, to let someone else play such a tasty riff, his words. But that's the little guy... I met on the bus when they were 15. It was just magical. This is Paul remembering this. And of John Lennon, Paul recalls that in the early days then when they would fight, he'd call Lennon four eyes. I mean, <laughs> such a 50s, okay, insult. And John would call him pigeon chest. He mm. said, because maybe my chest wasn't so developed. But uh, Roger writes, he was just blown away at the first episode and how satisfying it was to hear Paul be so relaxed yeah. and share all this stuff so
1: it doesn't seem like there would be any other way to get these stories like this is this is on his terms and it's perfect and because of that you're going to get something authentic if somebody were have wrote his book you know he wouldn't have been all in
3: maybe maybe not I mean I've read uh Keith Richards life and if Keith Richards can write a memoir then certainly Paul McCartney could because uh uh, Keith, I think, just dictated his memoir into um, a cassette, mm-hmm. and then he let people take over the storytelling when oh. he was like, I know I was wasted for a week, so I'm going to let so-and-so, <laughs> and then so-and-so does share their thing of that.
1: Oh, yeah. I just think he doesn't want to. I know that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It's on his terms in the sense of he's always been somebody who leans private. Uh-huh. And I think... And then I'm totally speculating. He reminds me of somebody who just like doesn't, I don't want to say doesn't believe his own hype, but like doesn't retell things many times until they're over it. He's like an original thinker where you're like, I don't want to tell this story five times. I don't, I don't want, want to, to rehash that, constantly. Yeah. And right. like, and maybe that's me projecting maybe, my own. But maybe yeah.
3: that's why Barbara Streisand is taking forever to write her memoir. Yeah.
1: There's something about that, right? Because I. I I definitely know people who can retell stuff really well, mm-hmm. and I have a problem with. N- at some point, I I'm over telling that same thing. You yeah, know? you
3: don't want to read. Yeah, yeah. So, and right.
1: I'm, I'm on the same stature as them. Of Are co- you? Of I, course. I just think maybe <laughs> Paul McCartney just doesn't want to,
3: like you said, yeah. for whatever reasons. Yeah. He's just like I'm lazy. I don't want to do it. Are yeah, private seems yeah. like a
1: lot of work. It seems it does. like a lot of, and it's like all, and he seems like somebody who wants to be able to follow their
0: passion and. You're
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDSE. We're committed to a book for
3: a while, and apparently Keith Richards was always keeping journals and notebooks. Really, it's like Julia; she reads everything down. We have no she has
1: notebooks. Of I know, but. Stuff. It's- it's almost like when you write, seeing her write everything down is like, you write so much down, nothing is valuable. I've seen her write down things yeah, I know, where I I'm know. like, did you just write the name of that person's cat? Yeah. Like, do you want to remember that? And all of a sudden I look at her paper and it's like a beautiful mind, except like crazier. Yeah. I know. God bless her soul. Oh, to each their own, right? Yeah.
3: No, it I it's a remembering thing. Too, I know, yeah, you know? Like, like just the act of it, the act of it, and also like she's like, Lori, we're gonna write a book one day, and I'm like, we are, you know, and she's like, oh yeah, we
2: are, I'm and like, you're really? and you're like, no, you are, <laughs> yeah,
3: really, you are What are we gonna write about? it, And who's gonna buy it? And what are we gonna say?
2: You. Oh, you guys have would have a lot of great stories to tell. I'm sure yeah oh gosh i bet you you guys could have some fun well we'll rem- need her damn notebook
1: yeah, right. and, <laughs> yeah. And it's more than notebooks it's like these scraps of papers yeah, around the office and i'll start collecting them if i get a
3: cut i did keep for a while a notebook of like just like funny things that we came up with like yeah. when we would be on the air or whatever and yeah. then it just got to be like i was lazy i just stopped doing it you know like one time I came back from a girls weekend and our our friend Lisa had made the declaration that a woman didn't need to worry about um, the size of her stomach as long as her uh, bits were bigger than her stomach, you know, so like that's, I was like, yeah, so that's a pretty good uh, Pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah, She's I need. He's like, get... yeah, you don't need to worry about
1: it, as long as your bets are bigger than your stomach, you're fine. <laughs> I'm like, that is words of wisdom for a girl's weekend. It's very wise, and it also makes me want to get implants immediately so I got more buffer room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
3: Time, I'm like, it's yeah. so true, Grant. Us flat-chested yeah. girls are screwed. We gotta work yeah. harder, it's we gotta
2: exhausting. Work then hard. I need to get a boob job too, guys, because <laughs> yeah. mine's sticking out farther than
1: mine. So. Oh, my, yeah, word. yeah. Well, at least what you say before the show, at least we know that people are into our personalities, and I, even that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine's not great all the time, so i got to work on that, too. Uh, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, you are, like, rant. the most
2: happy-go-lucky, fun person to be around I've ever met in my entire life. Don't tell me. Unless rant. it's at home, it's different. Don't tell me you have a bad attitude. You yeah. a I do a lot attitude. of
1: drugs before I come here.
0: That's
3: the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a special treat for you guys if you're hanging out with us today. We are delighted. We have Mitch McGuire, who's the managing director of paisley park and the curator of the beautiful collection which is an exhibit dedicated to prince's iconic footwear hi mitch how are you we are good my gosh everyone wants to talk to you about uh prince's shoes we've seen you rolling stone and l and cbs and now you're on the Lori and julia show
4: (laughs) we've reached the mountaintop
3: yeah right okay so um Talk to us about, um, this shoe collection because I know I've been out to Paisley Park and there are some outfits and you see the shoes. And I remember thinking when I was last out there, like whatever it was two years ago for this celebration, Oh man, I wonder how many shoes Prince had and if we'll ever get a shoe thing. And now here we are. You, you, you guys did it. Was it just, did it take forever to put this together?
4: Well, you know, I don't know what your shoe collections look like, but when you're Prince and you have thousands upon thousands of shoes that you've acquired over your lifetime, I guess that's in part why you need a facility like Paisley Park just to house them all. Yeah. Um, But I think you're right. Like, one of the things we continue to hear from folks who came through is, of course, they were amazed by his wardrobe pieces, but they were also really interested in in the fact that he had a pair of shoes custom made to match each and every one Mm -hmm. of those wardrobe pieces. So. We thought it would just be interesting for folks to be able to come up close and personal with those shoes specifically, because when you look at them, they really are like pieces of art in their own right.
3: Yeah, they uh, were the shoes at, were they just all over, or did, was Prince, did he at some point kind of have an archivist or something? I mean, how was he for organization?
4: Well, one of the great things Prince seemingly did for us is keep just about everything that was a part of his life over the years, and it works out great from a museum perspective Mm -hmm. now. So, yeah, the shoes were kept in archival boxes here at Paisley and and kind of found throughout the facility. But I think, again, it really speaks to Prince's forward-thinking nature, in which he always wanted Paisley to be a museum, Mm -hmm. and this was another example of that. He hung on to things, he took care of things, and now you know, we have the good fortune of being able to share it with the world.
3: Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, um, what? I mean, was there a pair of shoes that you were most excited to find and go, "Oh, he wore these to that," or you know, like sure. I'm thinking the Oscars, what he wore in yeah. maybe '85.
4: Right. You know, it's it's really tough because it's it's almost like asking what your favorite Prince song is. Right. Uh, there's so many great tunes, and it's really hard to choose. But and the shoes aren't. Aren't really different, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, but there certainly are some that are undoubtedly really recognizable. So the the ones that come to mind, I think for me immediately are the ones he wore in the Raspberry Beret music video. Um, just the so clouds? iconic. The, Is that clouds, the clouds. Yes, he yeah. had that sky blue suit and those white hand painted clouds uh, on the shoes as well. Uh, And then there's so many, uh, you know, those shoes that he wore throughout the Purple Rain Tour have a very distinctive look. It's more of a high-cut boot than the show or sort of a lower-cut boot that he went on to prefer over time. And then there are others that, you know, maybe he didn't wear as regularly but are still stunning in their own way. And when you come check out this exhibit, I mean, you could probably come a 100 times over and see a different pair. Wow.
1: So I'm assuming with Prince he would ha- there's ones that he had to do a couple copies of like what's the most amount of one stylish shoe that you guys found
4: you know there are several shoes that have several duplicates so to speak and in a lot of cases it had to do with him being on tour Yeah, and we all know just how relentless he was as a performer and oh. how hard he was on those shoes. Um, as a guy who was jumping off pianos and going into the splits mm. and spinning and dancing, I mean, it's all part of what made us really sort of gravitate to him as a performer. But, you know, in doing that, you, you tend to go through the shoes. So it was good to have some backup pairs, and they always brought backup heels as well. And sometimes they had to do sort of quick repairs just to, uh, to make things uh, meet for the next night.
3: Would he wear out the toes?
4: It's interesting, so one of the things you'll see with some of these shoes when you come check out the exhibit is the friction burn that has taken place because, you know, for example, when he was going down into into the splits, those shoes would rub against the top of the stage, he'd come back up, and of course he was doing this night after night, week after week, month after month, and over time, yeah, it just wore that fabric away, and I think one of the kind of fun stories having to do with all of that is knowing that they would have to turn around and do this again the next night, they would sometimes just still in those friction burn marks with whatever applicable Sharpie color they mm-hmm. had on hand to kind of mask that damage so it wouldn't be seen from stage.
3: Yeah, that's a good, it's a good idea. It's very, very clever. So did did Prince employ when he was doing his custom? I mean, did he have a cobbler or a shoemaker? I'm not sure what he, what's the technical mm-hmm. term.
4: Yeah, so Prince worked with really primarily five different shoemakers over the years and it really depended on the era in terms of who he was working with. Uh, there were a couple L.A.-based shoemakers that he was using um, during the Purple Rain era, for example. And then he used a different gentleman for the Batman, kind of sign of the times era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the 90s, he tended to work with one uh, shoemaker in particular named Kos Kiriako, who's now uh, based out of Cyprus and still runs a, a custom shoemaking company. But there was one guy in particular who worked for a company and still does called Andre Number 1, also based out of L.A. And he's probably the gentleman who created the most shoes for Prince over time. But he'll tell you, I mean, he's lost count at this point, thousands of shoes.
3: What size was Prince?
4: You know, a little tough to say um, specifically because the shoes were made. They're, they're Prince's size is what right. they Right, they're, okay, they're just, they're just, yeah. uh, okay. Exactly, you know, but I think if we had to equate it to a traditional standard size, it would probably be between a 7 and seven and a half in men's.
3: Okay, okay, so it's small. He, well, we knew that. Did Prince ever put lifts in any of his shoes?
4: Well, of course, those heels did most of those lifts for him. That's right. That's him. true. Uh, so he didn't but, need to. Yeah, the good thing about the shoes, though, is, you know, they were made... As we mentioned specifically for his feet, so there was a built-in comfort level Ooh, to them, oh. um, which is pretty amazing. I mean, especially when you consider what he was doing in those shoes, it's it's pretty incredible. But um, but he did it, and I think that just speaks to who he was as a performer, and and likely just knew no other way.
1: So, Mitch, working with Prince's shoes, does that make you feel like you have to up your shoe game? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you know, I told myself a long time ago there's no comparing anyone to Prince like the, he was so singular, you know, you're not you're not going to get any better than that. So, but there definitely is I think a standard in terms of what you wear, uh, how you at least try to present yourself when you work at Paisley because you you know that uh quite literally uh there are some some major shoes to fill.
3: Yeah. Oh, I you know, I really how did he did any of like when you did you talk to all these shoemakers to, you know, get different stories or whatever?
4: Yeah, it was definitely important for us to, um, you know, try to ascertain as much information as we, as we could. And each one of these shoes has a story of their own, whether we've unearthed it yet or not might be uh, a different story, but uh, there are two of those shoemakers who are still with us and we were able to reach out to them and spend some time with them. And, 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 you know, they were gracious enough to share some of their experiences with us. And, and that's important because it also helps us just in general here at Paisley kind of fill in the dots in terms of what went on uh, during Prince's uh, life and, and career, and and allows us to tell a more robust story to all the guests who come through and uh, are spending time at Paisley now. I'm curious if you, if anyone,
3: because I love like the shoes that Prince wore. I don't know what the style is, uh, where it you know comes right at your ankle with the zip on the side and that heel. Yeah. I mean that is a boot that is in, you know, every woman has a boot like that, sure. so to be able to have, like, custom-made that it would match a boot, how, how did, did he move to that? Did that become his signature shoe?
4: Yeah, it eventually did, so, um, you know, in the 90s is kind of when he moved into that specific style of shoe that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think one of the really interesting things about Prince, and, and, the, and the the boots are a good sort of segue to talking about something like this, but You know, as an artist who was, you know, so authentic and always committed to his own authenticity, he took something that was traditionally, you know, maybe relegated to uh, a women's particular fashion aesthetic and he made it his own, you know, and I think in doing so really allowed others to sort of take stock of of what's authentic about them mm-hmm. and give them the courage to go out there and, and do that, you know? And Prince was doing this decades before yeah. it really became part of our mainstream conversation. And and I think that's one of the great things he he did for culture in general. Yeah. He got us talking about things that maybe people weren't always interested or ready to talk about.
3: Oh, my God. It made us wildly attracted to him. I mean, right. with the high heels of even on the Dirty Minds album, in the underwear and the long coat—I mean, we we're like, oh my god, this
4: guy has everything. You know, <laughs> he just—that—that
3: that was the thing about him that just brought everybody into, I guess, his circle.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you got it, you got it, and there was no doubt he had it.
3: So, will the beautiful collection? So the shoe thing. This is—it's part of all Paisley Park tours starting tomorrow. So it's just plan a little extra time, if you ask me.
4: Yeah, right. So uh you're correct. It launches tomorrow. We're really excited to be able to share this new exhibit uh, with the world. Uh, we're proud of it, and I think uh, folks are really going to enjoy the time that they spend there, uh, just in Paisley in general. So what I will say is tickets are going fast.
3: They so if are, okay. are
4: interested in checking things out. Make sure that you plan your trip accordingly. You hit up the website in advance, paisleypark.com, and then the only thing you need to do beyond that is just have a great time.
3: And will we see any of Prince's roller skates?
4: Well, spoiler alert, you yeah. might not only see one pair but maybe two. Okay, so, yep, they yeah, definitely going to be on display.
3: Okay, all right. Well, we're really excited and I really just it's been so fun to see it was fun to see you with a I think it was Jamie Ucas yesterday on yeah. CBS and yeah. Rolling Stone. And I know John Bream will write about it, but this is sure. very exciting to be able to see this many, uh, shoes. And, and then are you pairing it with like pictures of him in the actual outfit? I mean, is that part of the exhibit?
4: Yeah, so, okay. you know, not only will there be content as it relates to the shoes specifically, but some photos so nice. and even design sketches, which sort of illustrates the, the whole concept to completion. And um, there's lots to check out, you know, not only the shoes, but uh, a section dedicated to his overall impact on fashion, some exclusive Prince concert footage, and then some interview footage of a couple of those shoemakers, as I mentioned earlier.
3: Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited, and thank you so much for making time. Uh, to talk to us. This is just very exciting. We appreciate it.
4: Well, I appreciate the opportunity and um, look forward to seeing you both here at Paisley again at some point.
3: Okay, sounds good. Go to paisleypark.com for tickets and for latest announcements, announcements you can follow Paisley Park on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. Alright, listen, we come back. We're going to stay in the music uh, vein and we'll be right back with that. Thanks so much, Grant. Okay, so I do wonder what Prince would have to say about Brittany. I think he would be on, he would be appalled about this the yeah. whole situation. And last night, I finally got a chance to read the whole New Yorker article, the Ronan Farrow and Gia Tarrant Carantino or uh, that's not how you say your last name, but their story that came out July 3rd. And it's, you know, it's like 20 pages. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Because I had read, I had just uh, read some recaps of it, but I was curious and down in the story, and it, how when did the Free Britney thing kind of start to come about? And it was in early 2009. And this dude named Jordan Miller, who is a journalism and media studies major, in Las Vegas, and he ran a popular Britney Spears fan site called Breathe Heavy. And he started to lobby against the conservatorship
1: and use the hashtag uh, free.
3: Britney, on his website. Wow, 2009? 2009. And the reason he did it was that he found out, because it was big, it was an open secret in Las Vegas, that Britney didn't have a cell phone, you know, with her residency at Planet Hollywood, if, if I think that had started then. I can't remember. Anyway, but there's, like, people knew stuff about Britney and that she didn't have a cell phone. And it was, That's like, wild. a common, everyone knew that Britney didn't have a cell phone. And he just thought that was terrible. And he got a lot of pushback f- from that. And he sa- got a call later from a person who patched in Jamie Spears. And Jamie told me he was going to destroy my butt. He was on the call for maybe two minutes. I got no words in. I was shaking in my childhood bedroom, terrified. And he got a letter saying that Breathe Heavy had violated copyright law. He took down the website. But then a few days later he put it back up. He was convinced that he was right. And around this time an L cover story celebrated return of Brittany. Uh, she you know, blonde happy back on ta- top, even though the paparazzi continued to stalk her everywhere and they would catch her crying and walking around looking detached and distraught. Well, turns out she was often going up to people and asking them if she could use their cell phone. Now, imagine the shame and mortification. You're Britney Spears. You don't have a phone. The tabloids, the paparazzi have gotten photos of you. They've made it seem like you're. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. It's like this. Uh, what it's a just, nightmare. It's just,
1: it's constant, right? Like, in, in I've and seen then, so many stories where people get fired for letting her use their phone. Well,
3: in this story, in this New Yorker story, a producer who'd worked with her since she was in her early 20s said there were no more jokes. By the end, you know, no laughter. She was very distant. And by the end, she was just let in the vocal booth. She was never came in the room where we were, and recording with Spears had once been effortless. Now it was really hard, almost impossible to get a spark from her in the booth because Jamie wouldn't let her go in and goof around and talk. And in 2012, when she was on The X Factor, Billy B., her makeup artist on the set, who had worked with her before, said she was almost like a robot. Her head would just be down. We were never, ever alone, never unmonitored Kim Voe. Brittany's colorist went out to dinner with her in 2012 in Vegas and the bill was $1,300 and Brittany told him she couldn't afford to pay for half of her half of it, even though X Factor paid her $15 million uh, a year and in sealed, you know, court records, we found out that Brittany was on a $2,000 a week allowance from her dad and um, <laughs> many of Brittany's friends and employees came to accept And they believed Jamie that she wanted to be more secluded, that she needed the back. But it was all him. And he would like anyone who got close to her, housekeepers, anything. It's a shocking, shocking story. And he broke up a lot of, um, you know, any friendships and or relationships. And, yeah, um, uh, people would, you know, they... People would have said, "Yeah, there were." Pe- I got a phone call from Britney, and I called back the number, and it's some guy at a grocery store in Calabasas, and said, "Yeah, Britney Spears just used my phone to call you, man."
1: It's so wild, and you're right; it's like a constant. And co- she like-
3: and she'd been making money even from the con- like seven years after the conservatorship. She'd been making a lot of money. I don't know. We've got a little bit from GMA on what her mom is finally stepping up mm-hmm. and trying to do something. Here we go.
2: With Britney Spears, seems to be the big story. This morning, the pop star's mother, Lynn Spears, coming to her defense, this time in court. NBC's Aaron McLaughlin has the latest details on the explosive court battle.
5: This morning, Britney Spears' mother, Lynn Spears, is joining the fight over the pop star's conservatorship, petitioning the court to listen to her daughter's wishes. And as a first step, grant Britney permission to hire her own attorney. Lynn Spears, who is divorced from Britney's father, Jamie, the co-conservator of the singer's estate, argues her daughter is able to care for her person, citing Britney's professional achievements and competence while under the conservatorship. She has earned literally hundreds of millions of dollars as an international celebrity, performed in front of millions of people, choreographing each and every move. Her mother's petition also praises Britney for speaking out during her court hearing last month saying she gave a very courageous showing while burying her heart to the court. In that explosive hearing, Brittany alleged she'd been forced to perform, take lithium, and was prevented from removing an IUD meant to stop pregnancy. In recent legal filings, Jamie Spears insists he had nothing to do with his daughter's alleged bad treatment and is demanding an investigation into her concerns. Earlier this week, Britney's longtime court-appointed attorney petitioned to resign, and her longtime manager, Larry Rudolph, announcing his departure just days ago. In a letter obtained by NBC News, Rudolph saying he has not communicated with Spears in more than two and a half years, writing in part, my professional services are no longer needed. Still, no comment from Spears herself on the shake-ups, but all eyes will be on her court hearing next Wednesday. For today, Erin McLaughlin, NBC News, Los Angeles.
3: And it's getting ugly between her conservator, this Jody Montgomery, who's now asked uh, Jamie Spears, because he's in charge of the money, and Jody's in charge of Brittany, the person, She says she needs amped up security because she's getting death threats. And Jamie was like, well, I've been getting death threats for years. Just deal with it. I mean, it is all I want. It's so absolutely unbelievable. It's
1: unbelievable. Now, can we be like, I just.
3: Well, I I, think she's she's being strategically quiet. And her next court hearing is the 14th. And um, this needs to be done. I I really, I really, I I really hope the sledgehammer gets taken to this conservatorship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The New
5: Yorker, your jaw will drop by the end of it. There's so many things in there.